Hi, I'm Daniel Budai, and this is the Ecom Show, a podcast where you can learn more about the world of high-performing e-commerce players and marketers. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. Let's grow your e-commerce business together. Hey everyone, here is Daniel Budai with Tim Kiroy again, and this is our second episode with Tim. And the last episode was one hour long, and to be honest, I didn't I didn't expect that uh, episode to be this long. But we deep dive into a few very interesting uh, topics uh, in the world of e-commerce. But I also wanted to talk with him about other topics like entrepreneurship in general um, and 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 how someone can become successful as an entrepreneur because Tim has a huge huge experience and he helps others how to do this how to master this and also um, how agencies marketing agencies should work with e-commerce companies so welcome Tim again thanks for joining us uh, today um, again, and yeah, super glad to be here. And I have a, I have a lot of questions to you again. So let me start with the first. So one of our uh, Facebook group members asked asked uh, you, which are the most common issues that you can see regarding business and personal growth these days, and why do you think these are the main issues? Oh, sure. That's a great question. So the, the big issue is that the, the, the big issue is the internet makes it look so easy. And, you know, you read about, uh, you know, if you follow this system, you're going to hit seven figures, or if you do this tactic, you're going to hit nine figures or whatever. And so it seems as if entrepreneurship is just a, or starting a business is just a matter of clicking a couple of buttons and it all magically works. And that's not true. Building a business is brutally hard. And, and there's a lot of people who gravitate towards wanting to be an entrepreneur because they only where they think that success is inevitable. Um, success is not inevitable. Success is something that you have to be really intentional and purposeful about, and you have to sort of understand that success often happens despite you, not necessarily because of you. Um, so I think the biggest issue right now is the fact that the mindset of the early stage entrepreneur is that if I get the right system, it's going to work. And that's actually, that's not true because you've got to have a great business. You've got to have a great team and you've got to have true and real insight into your customers or potential customers. And those are the things that are incredibly difficult to create. So not only systems, as many many people think. 
by the way, I, I think I'm a more like system oriented person than people oriented. Um, so you think that both is important, the right people, understanding your customers, having the right systems. Yeah. So, so if you think about, if you think about it this way, systems are an engine, right? You have to be putting something into the systems to make them work. But the fuel for that system is clients. And the way that you get clients is by solving their problems and understanding what they need. And that requires you to be able to see the world through their eyes. Because the problems that you experience as an agency owner are very different than the problems that your e-commerce clients experience. So in order to provide a great solution for them, Yes, you have to know all about the, the technology that you use, but you also have to understand the problems that they are facing. And that is, that is the thing that provides the fuel for the systems because you need to be able to effectively understand, articulate, and present a solution to those problems in order for your systems to be effective. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know that part's really hard because so many entrepreneurs are uh, on, on some level, or many of them are, are artists, meaning that they are really good at something. They have particular insight into Facebook ads or email or whatever, or they're technically adept. And it is very hard for them to translate their, their artistry and the things that they think about on a daily basis. It's very hard to translate that into uh, the, the needs of someone else. And that can be a real challenge, uh, especially if, if you end up starting a business because you're good at something. Mm-hmm. You think many of them are too much visionaries and too abstract maybe even too naive about their skills and what they really like to do. So they ignore the, the audience, the customers too much, especially at the beginning. Um, yeah. Well, everybody thinks they're a visionary, right? Like, isn't that like the, yeah, you know, the, like, word, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and also uh, people gravitate towards being a visionary because there's no, like it's easy to have ideas. And it's hard to it's hard to make them real. So being a visionary is kind of easy, um, but it's not great vision that creates great companies. Vision is like, you know the the vision is something that evolves over time. So the vision that you have at the beginning is different than you have at year one or year two or year ten. What what's really important, frankly, is not is not the vision, but rather the, you know, the ability to tie your actions to progress toward your vision, because you can have the, you can have a, a, a vision that is modest and you can execute against that vision super well and have a great company, or you can have a vision that is, is extraordinary and world changing. But if you execute like crap, you don't get anywhere. So, so like the, the vision is less important because 
you know, vision is vision is often informed by where you happen to be standing. So if if you know if you are um, if you're an early stage entrepreneur, you tend to see the world as full of early stage entrepreneurs. So you create solutions and products for them. Well, that's not entirely true. Actually, early stage entrepreneurs make up a very, very, very small portion of uh, of the uh, of the population. Uh, and so, you know, you might act you might actually be be creating a solution for a market that isn't right or whatever, um, or or you know you don't have you don't actually have a solution to their problem. But I think the 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 big issue is. The, the the big issue with vision is you tend to create vision based on your point of view and not the point of view of of the people that you hope to buy your service or product. Mm-hmm. Let's say someone has a vision and the customers need something else, or you know the the two things what the customers want and the person the entrepreneur wants it's not a perfect fit and when someone should stick to the idea and when should somebody you know become more flexible about the idea well so there's this i mean so there's this 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 idea of what they call it uh, in the investing world or in the vc world product market fit or, or service market fit or whatever. Basically, it means that, you know, you've found your audience and you can sell things to them. Um, so if, if you are not having success, there's only, there's only two possible things that are wrong. There's only two scenarios. Well, two and a half anyways. So the first one is you've got, the, you know, you've got the right audience and you're, and you're selling them the wrong product. Or service, that's one. Number two is you've got the right product or service, but are selling to the wrong audience. Uh, so that happens pretty frequently. Um, uh, and then the the half scenario is essentially, uh, you know, essentially is uh, you don't have the right product or the right audience. And so I think uh, the the way to sort of troubleshoot what makes you know what makes sense. Is uh, is really you know understanding if you understand your customer? Uh, I have this uh, this metric or this sort of uh, sort of um, this quasi metric that I that I offer to my clients, which is you know how do you measure the return on understanding? So it's not like it's not return on investment, it's not return on ad spend, but rather return on understanding. So if you can think about ways to increase your level of understanding of the needs, wants, and desires of your customers, that is actually going to have the most significant return of any investment you could ever make, because that will inform your actions so that you can shape your product or service to something that is actually needed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and sometimes, by the way, there is, there is just a, you know, there's a matter of timing. Um, so sometimes you come up with, uh, you know, with, with something that's too early in the market 
you know, meaning that you know you might have uh, invented the most fantastical, um, whatever TikTok advertising thing, and if nobody's advertising on TikTok, well, like, and they don't for ten years, well, that's cool, but that means that you've you've missed. So you actually you you might have found the right audience, which is TikTok advertisers or potential TikTok advertisers, but you're offering them the wrong thing. Um, so, so, you know, timing is, timing is actually a, a timing is a really big element of success, but timing is actually informed by your understanding. Yeah. It's especially for startups. There is even a TEDx video about this and the guy talks about timing. Yeah. I mean, timing, timing matters so much. And it's it's hard to it's hard to anticipate, hard to predict the future. If you start, if you get started at the right time or too late, too early, it's it's not easy. But you can see it uh, a few years later. So so it's hard. Right, but you can tell if you were too early because there are no buyers. And generally speaking, these ideas that are too early. The reason why they don't they they don't take off is because the revenue opportunity or the need for that is is less than than the you know than the the service or product provider thinks, and if you were thinking uh, you know about uh, you know we'll just stick with advertising for a minute. So if you're thinking about some new advertising widget, and you know and you were seeing that. You know, it 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 generates incredible return on on dollars. Uh, you know, whatever you you know, you spend a dollar in this new advertising widget and you get ten back. That's amazing. But if the addressable audience for that advertising isn't big enough, it really doesn't matter. And that might actually lead you to understand that you're too early. That this advertising widget doesn't. It might work super well, and it could be a really well executed product or service. But the addressable market and the scale of the benefit to your client isn't big enough to be compelling. And I think that's, that's something that's really hard for entrepreneurs to understand um, because entrepreneurs tend to be sort of uh, very focused on their own stuff. Um, and it's hard, but the best entrepreneurs really do think about their clients first and how they can shape their talents, products, services, and insights to, 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 to provide their clients with the most benefit. Um, and the, the significant issue around getting traction or service market fit is there's just not enough benefit for the price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, my next question. So what do you think, you you sold two agencies of yours and and you had a third one. It it bankrupted if I know it well. But yep, that was your first one. Yeah, that was my first one. Yep. And yeah, so you have a lot of experience with agencies and you worked at a, at a big agency. Uh, yeah, at a, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. A couple of big agencies: uh, PMX or Ford PMX uh, and Tenuity. And I've worked at startups. Uh, worked at big retailers. I've, you know, 
uh, yeah. I've, I've had a, I've had a pretty extensive, uh, pretty extensive exposure across the digital marketing spectrum. Yeah. Oh, after all these um, years and experience, what do you think? What, which uh, e-commerce companies should pick an agency to work with, and and which shouldn't? What are the pros and cons? Yeah, that's a that, well, that's a great question. So. Um, The decision to choose an agency is actually is actually uh, it it, re- it requires a lot of self knowledge, um, and there isn't necessarily a, a you know there aren't necessarily external signals that you should hire an agency. It is much more about your ability and willingness to invest in in house talent versus finding an expert. But for most, and we'll just stick with marketing for a, for a moment. Um, for most marketers, e-commerce companies, and, uh, and and you know lead developers and that sort of stuff, they hire agencies because they either the the, the marketer either doesn't have the staff or the ability to manage a staff that performs the desired activity. Um, Uh, so, so managing somebody who runs paid search and paid Facebook ads is different than running an effective retail business, you know, sourcing products, you know, logistic management, customer service. And so, and so this sort of the, the, the media management side of it doesn't really fit in with any of the other skills that, uh, that, uh, uh, a marketer might have. And so if that's the case, if understanding how to work the technology and platforms and data is not something that uh, as a company you have expertise in, or, and this is actually most often the case, it's you don't have the management expertise to manage someone who does have ex- who does have experience with the with the platform, that is the that's the biggest sign. So you can bring in the most qualified and best talent into your organization, but if you can't manage them effectively, they're not going to perform. So it does require some self knowledge on the part of the marketer saying, like, "Holy guacamole, I can't." manage that team, or I don't know how to manage that team, or I don't understand their world bit well enough to be able to manage that effectively. And, and so, and by the way, that's not an admission of, uh, of, of failure. That's actually an, uh, you know, that's an understanding of, of what you, you as a manager or leader or company owner are really good at. So not everybody can manage everything. So for instance, I am not awesome at managing technical folks. It's just, it's, it's something that we, we don't have enough of a common language. And so working with developers, I find to be super, super challenging. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, uh, so if I, if I ever had a need to manage a technical team, I wouldn't put that with me. I might actually outsource that to uh, to an agency that you know that can sort of manage all the technology for me 
Yeah, it's very interesting that you brought up management because you know most most e-commerce companies when they decide uh, to work with us or work with other e-commerce agencies, I can see very obvious reasons why they think about it. Um, they can provide a higher higher ROI or it's more more uh, time effective. They don't want to hire a new employee and teach them or or don't have the budget to uh, hire them. Yeah, but, but I think what's even, but what's more regular is they might think they don't have the budget and that an agency is yeah. cheaper to mm-hmm. do it. But yeah. the best reason to hire an agency is because you don't know how to manage those people yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of cost-driven um, you know, hi- hiring a, hiring an agency based on on this no, thing that's, that it's, yeah, it's cost effective because for short term that might be good, but for long term ROI is more important, I think. And oh, I also I think the best if they hire the agency because of their skills and knowledge and the data that they have, and and not just saving money. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The, but reality is different, I know. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, is and all, is, if you think about it, uh, some of the 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 biggest, I mean, the biggest companies in the world hire ad agencies. They, they you know they hire they hire they hire experts to to sort of execute on the things that they don't see the benefit to building in-house, mm-hmm. right? So, so a company like, you know, a company like Microsoft or Apple uh, or General Electric or, you know, name any, name any giant company, they 100% have the resources to be able to pull, to, to basically hire anybody that they wanted and create whatever team that they wanted internally, like there's 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 zero doubt in my mind, but they still go to experts and who handle their marketing or their technology or whatever, because the benefit to paying somebody else outweighs the 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 opportunity cost of investing those resources internally to to build the expertise that is needed. Mm-hmm. Right, and and that's and and I think that's that's really important for for marketers to understand. Like, yes, it is true. You could manage your search ads in house, your Facebook ads in house, or your email in house. But you are engaging with an agency not because it's cheaper, but because they are better. Yeah, and faster. And if you're, and like, and if your agency isn't faster or better then they're not a very good agency but but you know i think if you really if it gets right down to it an agency has to understand that they get hired when they solve a significant business problem better faster or cheaper than the client could themselves and yeah, for most, exactly. and, and for most agencies you know for most agencies uh, that that thought of like cheaper 
you know that that's that's when that's where people tend to think, uh, you know, that 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 they need to in order to in order to to sort of get hired or to to be attractive that they have to price themselves uh, low enough that it seems cheap. But you absolutely can have a great business charging premium fees and doing extraordinary work. You know, I mean, you know, you don't the the WPP companies, you know, the the, the largest, uh, you know, the largest advertising holding company in the world. None of none of their agencies are cost leaders, right? They're all they're all top shelf, high fee, because the talent and work and work process and uh, client understanding and all that sort of stuff is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, I think someone can learn a skill and they sell it for a certain price and maybe it's, it's a cheap price compared to other agencies, but after a while, there will be someone cheaper than you, especially if you don't improve your skills. The market start, uh, starts saturating. Like We started email marketing as an agency two or three years ago, and today it's but back then it was kind of new, you know, we, we just set up a few flows and now almost everyone has flows set up it, and you can do it even sometimes if, for a few hundred bucks, uh, someone yeah. can do that. For sure. you. Yep. So, you know, it's not a thing anymore. It's, it's hard to sell for, for, a, for an expensive price. So you have to improve and, and improve your services and, and, understanding your clients and, and everything. And, and to be cheap is the worst USP to have as an agency. Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, if you were the, if you were the cheapest agency, um, you, you your are, people will, will hate you as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're the cheapest agency, uh, the, the, you are only servicing the, the least sophisticated clients who, you know, and, and if you're cheap, just to be honest, like if you're super cheap, you just can't do a good job. Yeah. Because, you know, because, you know, it, in order to be good at what it, what you do, it takes time and effort and that takes money. And if you are the cheapest, that means you're not paying money, which means that your clients are not getting the time and effort. Mm-hmm. I'm just uh, reading a book now by Alan Weiss. Do you know him? Sure. Yep. And I just heard his name a few weeks ago for no, the he's, first he's time. Been around, he's been around forever. Sorry? He's been around forever. Uh, I've, I've, oh. met him, I've met him several times. Um, I, I, I almost finished uh, the consulting Bible. It's a great book. And he said that everyone wants to decrease the price, but nobody wants to decrease the value. Exactly. And I really like that. Yep. And uh, sounds like, uh, by the way, it sounds like my dog Fred has decided to join our podcast. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> he, we have, at we have another guest today. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Fred barking at a squirrel. Um, Tim, what do you think? A full service agency has a benefit compared to specialized agencies or the opposite. What do you think? And when an e-commerce company should be 
pick a full service company or a specialized so so, agency? So, so let's so let's get a a, a a definition from you. So full service means multi channel, right? And exactly, and especially yeah. just single channel. Okay. Um, so again, that that really depends on that depends on the marketer. There's you know because you can have in, as a marketer, you really have to understand your own strengths and weaknesses. Um, mm-hmm. so if, if, as a marketer, if you were really good at messaging and client communication and all that sort of stuff, you know, that you probably, you, you may not need to hire somebody who does, does email, but you really might need to hire somebody who does Facebook ads. So you really do have to look at, at, at your, at your particular needs. Um, and also you have to look at the place where you really want to to invest and manage. So if you are, if you're, you know, if you're in e-commerce and you are really good at picking products and you're really good at buying products and, you know, you've got good margins and your logistics are on point and you love the customer service aspect, but the whole marketing thing is too complicated. Well then sure. You know, you can hire somebody, an agency to do a bunch of things. Um, or you can hire an agency to a bunch of agencies to do a single thing. And so much of that is a, is a management choice about where, you know, where do you want to be as a, as a client? Do you want to be in the middle of all these agencies? And, you know, so you were sort of the hub and they are the spokes and, and the, you know, the data typically is concentrated within you and you've got to sort of make the connections, um, which is a great spot for some folks and other people want to have a single partner where they can discuss all of the strategy at once or understand, uh, you know, understand the, the, the way one channel impacts the other more easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really is, it's a very personal choice that is, that's very much based around the landscape of the marketer. It all depends on what they are comfortable managing. And that's what it really, this is what, you know, in the, the world of marketer versus agency, it really is about desire to learn and manage because every company could in fact build a great internal team to handle a bunch of stuff. But that takes time, money, patience, failure. Um, And sometimes, oftentimes it's just safer instead of trusting, you know, your ability to manage and grow a team in an area that you may not know enough about. It is often safer to hire an agency who's already gone through some of those rough edges. And well, yes, they may not be 100% dedicated to you. You're weighing that against the benefit that you get from them having already made all the mistakes and having a process and having a way to improve. Whereas if you are building that yourself, there are things that you don't know that will get in your way. And so, you know, there, there are the things, you know, you don't know, for instance, you know, that you don't know how the Facebook algorithm works. And then there's things that 
you don't know and you don't know about them. Like how difficult is it, you know, or, you know, should I have a data scientist on my team or not? Like, who knows? And so, and so those are, those are things that you, that as you were building something, you can't know until the, the, the time is right. And so it is often just safer to, to put the risk on someone else. And if that costs more, that's okay. Like you are paying that, you know, you're paying a premium for risk mitigation rather than taking mm-hmm. those same dollars and trying to build it yourself. And so that's part of the, you know, the better, faster, or cheaper than I could do it myself. Now, quite honestly, almost every agency does things better, faster, or cheaper, or I should say, and cheaper than someone else, because, you know, and a good agency has got smart people executing well, uh, well-organized and well-defined processes and a method to troubleshoot and a method to sort of train employees and all that sort of stuff. So your, like your fee as an agency might be more than hiring a full-time paid search manager, for instance. Yeah. But for that paid search manager to build a process and build a, uh, you know, a data pipeline to build a talent pipeline to build an improvement pipeline. All of those things, those cost more. So actually, even if your fee is very high, in aggregate, I'm almost certain that hiring an agency in every case is less expensive than building a cap- a similarly capable team in-house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a no-brainer because an agency, especially a one-channel agency, they focus on one thing, one channel, while the e-commerce business, they have to build up a lot, lot of other things, um, fulfillment, ads, and you know, basic things like financial management and all of these others. And an agency can focus on one thing, and because of this focus, they have better systems usually than an e-commerce company. So they are just specializing to that one area. But you cannot see a trend like small businesses, they prefer full-service e-commerce agencies or, or bigger businesses, they prefer specialized one-channel one agencies. Um, Can you see any trends, any well, correlation? So, so there, so, yeah, I mean, I mean there, is, there is some correlation. So, uh, you know, bigger companies have more resources. So they probably have more things covered in-house. So they are probably more likely to hire, you know, they're more likely to hire uh, someone who is, uh, who is especially good at a particular thing simply because they have the marketing management infrastructure to be able to manage a bunch of, of incredible specialists, whereas a small business may not. And it might, and, and it, you know, because every, because every relationship you have with a, as a, as a company, every relationship that you have with a vendor, like an agency comes with its own overhead. You know, there's a time or, 
uh, or energy cost to managing that relationship. And if you were a small business, time and energy are in shorter supply simply because, honestly, there are fewer of you. So, yeah. uh, so, so I would, I, you know, I haven't done a deep study of this, but I would imagine that it probably makes more sense for, uh, for a smaller company to engage across multiple services with a single agency, uh, rather than hiring a specialist, because for, uh, as a small business, if you are hiring multiple specialists, you are still in the, you're still in the, uh, the strategic chair, uh, you know, around making sure that all of the data is passed back and forth and that you're making decisions that are appropriate for all channels. Uh, whereas if you were working with an agency who's managing multi multiple channels, um, you know, it is likely that they can, that they have a, a way to look at the world that helps all channels, you know, in a way that you don't. Yeah, I can see the same trend. Just just a few days ago, we received an email by a client of us, and he decided to hire uh, another agency because they are full service, and simply he didn't want to communicate with three separate agencies, and he he decided to go to this one full service from three single channel agencies. He's he's very he's a very busy guy. It's a small business. Mm -hmm. He even manufactures the products, and it was a more comfortable. Uh, yeah, situation. right. It, just it, because just time management. Yeah, because yeah, there is there is administrative overhead, and I'm sorry, you lost a client. Yeah, it happens. We we are we are not the perfect fit anymore. Actually, we will uh, post a case study with him. He's a very cool guy. My last question to you, Tim, and I think you will really like this. What to do when nothing that you know how to? Oh my God, I lost this. Oh, uh, like like what like what to do? What to with, like, yeah, what, do you what do to when do? Nothing works anymore, right? Exactly. You you saw the question exactly. Yeah, yeah. So so, and by the way, that happens all the time because things will be going along just fine, and all of a sudden the stuff that you know how to do doesn't work anymore. It just, it, it happens and it, and it happens for a couple of reasons. Um, and most of it's because you weren't paying attention. We can talk about that in a second, but, but here's, there, there's a, a really good framework for figuring out what to do next. If nothing works, the very first thing that you should do is Think about the last time you thought, oh my goodness, everything is working well. And think about what you were doing then and go back to it because it is likely that you were doing something differently. You know, for instance, it, it, it may have been, um, you know, when you're a little bit smaller, you were doing a lot of organic marketing on Facebook. But now that you're a little bit bigger, you stop doing that and for whatever reason, your new lead gen solution stopped working. Well, guess what? You, ha you, have, a, you have an example in your own history that works. So you can just step back and do that. And so that is often a terrific way for you to reset yourself by going back to the, the last thing that worked. 
Secondly, you have to reevaluate what you were putting in versus what you were getting out. Uh, and so when nothing works anymore, that's typically because unintentionally you've introduced a disconnect. Um, so for instance, this is a, this would be a completely to, this is a completely real example. So, um, I have a client who was very, very good at getting clients via email. I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, via, via advertising. Mm-hmm. And they were able to sell $1,500 a month programs. Like it was easy. Like they, like they had a good pitch and it just worked and they didn't have to work too hard and they kept on growing their business. Well, they decided to increase their price and increase the kinds of services they had. So they started to doing a, a bundle that now started at $3,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that $3,000 a month, by the way, that was a terrific value. They're providing a ton of services, a ton of great insights, but it was 3000 bucks a month. So all of a sudden, this well honed advertising machine that was really good at pulling in clients that were, that would happily pay $1,500 a month. They didn't respond to the $3,000 offer, not because it wasn't better and more comprehensive and deliver more value. It's because it was just too much. They couldn't like, they couldn't justify the value versus their cash flow. Mm-hmm. So everything started to fall apart. Customer acquisition slowed, whatever. And, and as a matter of fact, in the, and, and when they did get customers, the onboarding took twice as long and all that sort of stuff. So by increasing the quality of their service, by making a better package, even though it costs more, this company introduced a bunch of unintended consequences. So their, their onboarding process took a whole lot longer and the clients that they were used to attracting were no longer such a great fit. So they did one great thing, which was make their package better and frankly able to deliver more value, but they didn't do the, the other things that they needed to do was, which was work on their process and also reevaluate their, their ideal customer target. And so often you can find that you did not think about the second order consequences of what you were doing. You make one change, but don't think about the changes that that change requires. And so those are two great things. One is revert back to uh, revert back to the, the, the last place you knew where stuff worked or stop and think, what are the second order consequences that I did not consider? And, Almost certainly your answer is in one of those two places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fascinating. I, I wanted to mention the same word, second order consequences, because I think when we change something in the business, we, we always introduce second order consequences. We yeah. just don't, we don't, all, we, we, all, we always never know what is what is that consequence? It will come up after six months, after one week. It depends. Yeah, uh, so I, I, I think, and 
uh, I'm in the middle of, of uh, reading this this book. Uh, what's it called? The Road to Less Stupid. Yeah, the, the, uh, yes, it's uh, uh, it's called the the Road Less Stupid. Uh, advice from chairman of the board by this guy named Keith Cunningham. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a he's got a really terrific uh, framework around what he calls thinking time and and sort of uh, uh, asking himself consistently what what am I not seeing? What are the second order or third order consequences of the action that I want to take? And I think this is a, a terrific, a really terrific way to sort of uh, to, to 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 mitigate your risk is to uh, is to look at second order consequences before mm-hmm. you take action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great, great piece of advice, Tim. And uh, thanks for sharing this with us. If yeah, anyone wants to find you online, where they can reach out to you? Uh, TimKilroy.com is a great spot or uh, you can, uh, I've got it for any of you agency folks out there. I've got a great Facebook group called agency breakout. Yeah. Thanks Tim. Thanks for joining us today. And anytime Daniel. And uh, I think now I I represent uh, like something like a quarter of all your podcast episodes. Holy guacamole. That makes me a superstar. I'm, I'm like the, the, like the SNL guest host who's done it 25 times. Perfect. Thank you, Tim. And right, uh, thank, you. thank you. And thanks for listening to us, everyone, and see you in the next episode. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Ecom Show podcast. If you want to learn more about e-commerce, retention marketing, check out our Facebook group called Top 3% E-commerce Email Marketing, or check out our website, thebudaimedia.com. The show is brought to you by the team of Buday Media. See you in our next episode and don't forget our goal. Grow your e-commerce business together.